everyone. Welcome back to our podcast edition. This is Claire. And this is Cece. And welcome to our headline news edition of our 16th series of Sundition. On March 14th, we have three interesting stories and even better takes, so let's get into it. So recently, the UN has called for all foreign forces to immediately withdraw from Libya. Specifically, the UN Security Council echoed the stance in Libya's ceasefire agreement, asking for all foreign countries to withdraw their troops. This treaty between the two main warring parties in Libya, the Tripoli-based Government of National Accord, the GNA, and the Libyan National Army, the LNA, came in October. And the provisions included the withdrawal of foreign forces and mercenaries within three months and a commitment to the UN arms embargo. Currently, both demands have yet to be met because obviously it has been way more than three months since October uh, when this agreement was reached. And near the end of 2020, there were 20,000 foreign troops in Libya and no one has left yet. As for the UN arms embargo, it has been continuously violated since. This is all happening after long, long after the removal of a dictator around 10 or so years ago. And since 2015, the GNA has been officially recognized by the UN as the main government in Libya. And like I mentioned around 10 years ago, starting 10 years ago, Libya has been marred by violent conflict that has partly been attributed by what news, mainstream news and politicians has, have dubbed as Obama's quote-unquote worst mistake. And that has caused the aftermath of the dictator that was overthrown. And Libya now, for a while, has been a place of rivalry between the GNA and LNA. During their conflict, the GNA has been backed by Turkey and Syria, while the LNA has been backed by Egypt, the UAE, and Russia. Allegedly, according to them. Although the UN Council was actually the one who called for military intervention during Libya's dictator days, now the council's current stance is only strengthened by the Libyan parliament's decision on Wednesday that is supporting the interim government led by Prime Minister Abdul Hamid Dibal. Because of this, the UN has officially recognized him and his new government in Libya, calling for the quote-unquote disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration of armed groups, and to quote-unquote establish an exclusive civilian-led security architecture for Libya as a whole. Additionally, for this, the UN has sent a team to monitor the situation, and that team is set to report back soon. That's a lot. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like the UN might have notified the people involved when they haven't exactly withdrawn since October. Or actually three months, right? So that's, what, January? They should have withdrawn by January. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. I feel like the UN should have notified them and been like, hey... What's going on? Obviously, that hasn't <laughs> happened, so I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they did because now it's been six months or three months past the deadline. And usually for this to happen, I think... Well, I think there's two reasons why they are calling it... Possibly calling it now instead of three months ago in January. 
One is maybe they already talked to these countries like Turkey, Syria, uh, UAE, Egypt, and Russia allegedly. Mm-hmm. I do say Russia allegedly because the Russian government has come out and denied that there are forces, but um, the at least there are troops there. But huh. this uh, ceasefire agreement doesn't actually just include troops, but they also include paid mercenaries. Oh, so it kind of includes them. Okay. Yeah, so the, backtrack to what I was saying originally, the two reasons why is that they the UN Security Council may have told them before, at least obviously this the provisions of this agreement have most likely, like 99% sure, been communicated to all the countries that have troops in there. But since no one has moved it, maybe the UN has now taken upon themselves to unify. And there's like 15 people in the council, I think, which um, supposedly for them to all agree is actually rare. And so they came together and said, hey, you guys better get out. And another reason is that maybe they were a bit too scared to ask these countries, considering at that time there was like because of the ceasefire agreement, there was still uncertainty about who was running the government. Right. If there's instability within the government, then the UN Security Council is less likely to say like. I mean, from a policy standpoint, too, like if there's no standing government or main government that is like for sure set in stone and they tell all foreign troops to lead uh, to leave, that could possibly lead to catastrophic effects. Right. Other foreign troops could come in. Um, possibly other uh, well not foreign troops other maybe na- Libyan troops uh, possibly terrorists right, right right and that could lead to further instability and repeat what happened like 10 years ago mm-hmm. which makes the situation worse yeah and that happened in 2011 so we were about we were in we were in elementary school that time 2011 10 years ago yeah, exactly yeah. 10 years it's ago. Like second grade. Yeah, and at that time, Obama decided to bomb Libya, if I'm correct, because uh, the UN allowed for military intervention, and obviously that has... Been dubbed Obama's worst mistake. Very... has <laughs> That and also affected his career, I think, a lot. I mean, when... There was a re-election, and I grew up and started learning more about politics because, like, what did I know when I was in elementary school? (laughs) And now that I know about it, well, in the beginning when I was starting to get into, I was starting to learn more about politics, I was very confused by the Libya situation. I was like, I don't really get this. But I understand more now, but I do know, again, that there are a lot more forces at play than what... I currently know I'm still learning and what we shared today. Yeah, definitely many more layers. It's just that we're still high schoolers. I mean, we could stand to learn a little more. Yes. The purpose of this podcast is to obviously inform you guys and help you think a little bit more, but also to encourage you and push you to do your own research side as well in general, for anything, because we're not going to cover every single story out there. And there are probably stories that you've heard of, and we have not. We're not an all-consuming machine. We wish we were. (laughs) Maybe. Oh, well. Yeah. 
um, at the end, I think, what do you, Claire, what do you think exactly of like the UN's current decision to like supervise all these things? And they seem to be very involved in the aftermath. I feel like it's a better, it's better than just having everyone run amok, Mm -hmm. right? Because I feel like if they catch something that's happening that's wrong a little too late, then more catastrophic incidences would occur, you know? I mean, they could maybe stand to be just a little less involved because, what, they've implemented so many more, what, security architectures for (laughs) Libya as a whole and stuff like that. But hopefully they're doing the right thing. I think this just goes into, like, I mean, they're calling for no more military foreign intervention, right? And more calling for, um, like, non-violent intervention, right? Probably, uh, like, through civilian-led security architecture means, like, um, more on-the-grounds, grassroots, humanitarian, and political stuff, less mm-hmm. uh, military stuff. But at the same time, like, the need for intervention in general has been obviously debated for a very long time especially as like since we live in the united states and the united states has faced numerous controversies of its intervention in almost every single thing in the world i think that is something we should keep an eye out for um the UN and how exactly and to what extent they will continue to intervene and whether maybe possibly in the future this is a beneficial intervention. I am hoping the, so. Yeah. And I'm there have been successful ones as well, but foreign intervention in general is... Uh, Sometimes it doesn't just... It really doesn't work out the way they want it to. So yes. Hopefully everything works out accordingly. That is the wish. Yeah. And before we get on to the second story, I think you'll find that all three stories today are completely international. And so we will continue traveling the globe, flying from Libya all the way to China. On that note, we have our second story, which is that a polar bear hotel in China opens and gets heat. So... Animal conservationists have harped on the world's first polar bear hotel for its subpar conditions. In Harbin, which is known for its cold weather, residents of this hotel can look down upon a room of polar bears from the comfort of their own room. Despite their nice view, the polar bears are subject to a less than subpar, horrendous, fake enclosure. They're given fake ice, a small area, and extremely harsh lighting. According to the Harbin Polarland spokesperson, however, this indoor part is merely just a section of their larger enclosure that includes the outdoors and a more natural environment. Duly noted, Harbin Polarland happens to be a polar performing arts amusement park. Critics claim that polar bears should be out in the wild, not in a zoo, much less a hotel. Polar bears are active creatures who walk around and roll in the snow in a habitat thousands of miles wide. This is not the first time China has actually gotten flack like this, because in 2016, a video was uploaded of a polar bear lying around in a glass box in a Guangzhou mall. So this is not the first time this has happened. Yeah, um, I'm actually from Guangzhou, and I'm pretty sure I was in China at that time in 2016, but I do not remember that. <laughs> Interesting. This is not okay. Well, it 
really reminds me of all the heat that oh, what's that place called again? SeaWorld? In... SeaWorld. Yes, 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 with the the whales? Yeah, the whales. The what? Yeah, specifically. Or, or, no, whales. orcas, right? Orcas. Yeah, they're whales. Cecilia. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how the I mean, this is very similar just Basically, Harbin Polar Land is the polar bear Chinese version of SeaWorld. Pretty much, yeah. I think you can get you can say that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this has been a constant fight ever since like the concept of a zoo was invented, right? Mm-hmm. Especially since a zoo's area like is just not enough for these big animals such as polar bears and orca whales. They're and whales, yeah. Or, like, just, like, animals in general, I feel like. And especially since with global warming, polar bears are a endangered species, right? And with an endangered species, many scientists have been keeping animals in zoos, but in a way that con- uh, conservationists support more because they're taking care of them and providing an optimal environment for breeding and um, growing. But this is obviously not that environment. Fake ice? This is a, what, performing arts and amusement park? Yeah. It's not even for conservation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harbin Polar Land is completely an entertainment place. Not Not for conservation at all. And, I mean, this is, seems to reflect the time where, like, America was still known for its traveling circuses with the tigers and the lions that were treated poorly. And I don't want to judge, but I don't think these polar bears are treated very nicely here. Obviously not. This isn't even their natural habitat. Fake ice, harsh lighting, small areas. Obviously, that's like the opposite of exactly what they need. So Yeah doesn't seem humane yeah exactly and i think this the reason why the many of the critics obviously from what we have read so far are coming from animal conservations in general conservationists in general and a lack of criticism from the public is that there isn't that same possible knowledge and culture within the chinese community about the treatment of polar bears and um endangered species and global warming Mm -hmm. unlike here in america where that um environmental movement has definitely matured and gone mainstream for better for worse yeah at least like we're educated about this too you know yeah which is why a lot of people now don't know that SeaWorld isn't good and, well, SeaWorld's still alive, so people still go there. <laughs> yeah, but I don't... I actually haven't heard that much from them in a while, so I'm not... I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, they... But they did receive a lot more heat than... Oh, this so much back polar bear hotel yeah. in China. And, I mean, it's really sad, honestly. Like, being enclosed in a place where you're not used to... And especially isolated from your natural environment is such a small room. I mean, for them, they're much bigger and more active creatures. Unlike humans, where 
although this is not our natural way of just like sitting around all day and walking a little we can we are able to withstand being in a small room but isolation in general and has been proven to be plus it's not harsh either we can live we're alive we're thriving (laughs) it's not as bad we're not exactly thriving but you know we're not endangered okay yeah we're not dying either yeah and we we had to live in a small enclosed space but from our standpoint at least we are able to do something about it right we do have the power we have our way of communication that we can get out of while the polar bears are basically what you call like innocent creatures right they can't do anything about this yeah and in general like it reminds me of a quote i saw like a few days ago it was like Uh it was about how no animal is evil because they don't have the capacity to think good from bad it's just pure instinct right Mm mm-hmm while humans do have the ability to conjure up what evil and good is, and thus, like, humans are the only evil creatures in the world. Yeah, because we can 100% control our behavior. Yeah, like, can you blame a poisonous snake for being evil? Can you blame a shark for biting someone's leg off? From a philosophical standpoint, at least from that philosophy that I just um, said, you can't really. Yeah. I agree. At least I don't yeah. think so. Plus, like, for the most part, they're trying to protect themselves. So, yeah. yeah. Hopefully this situation gets more news from the Chinese public, especially since China has been so adamant about and, and so protective of their polar... Uh, no, sorry, not polar bear. Panda situation, right. right? They take care of their pandas very well. But at the same time, pandas the the care that pandas need are different than the care that polar bears need Mm -hmm. yeah so hopefully the government will take care of something like this hopefully (laughs) what can you do with hope (laughs) that sounds really really depressing honestly but i mean we can't exactly do much about it right except let you guys know and hopefully maybe when you go to china if you go to china that you don't stay in the polar bear hotel Please don't. And maybe you let other people know. And now your people that you know in China will know about it. And finally this place will change its ways. (laughs) Our last story is a flight to Mexico on March 8th. As you all know, countries across the world celebrated International Women's Day and paid tribute to half of the population. And many gathered despite COVID, more in some places and less in others, to show their uh, support. In Mexico, these gatherers were definitely more serious. Protests lined up in the main square of Mexico City, calling for the government to take action on femicide and gender-based violence. According to government numbers, there are almost 1,000 women a year, uh, just this past year, that were victims of femicide. On that day, thousands of women gathered and even managed to take some of the fencing surrounding the National Palace that was specifically put up there to pre- uh, for the march to prevent these pre- uh, protesters from reaching the main square. There were also riot officers that showed up using their shields to push back the crowd and tear gas and batons to disintegrate or disperse the crowd. 
Some protesters had even managed to set fire to the riot shields, but those flames were quickly put down and no one was hurt. However, reports find that at least 15 officers and four civilians were injured in general, along with many journalists being detained by the police for reporting on the situation. <laughs> I feel, uh, that's a little violent. Yes. And quite <laughs> a violent reaction to a protest. It is. I'm gathering that mm -hmm. these protests were peaceful. Uh, yes, generally. Yeah, except for the, you know, police and whatnot. Yes. Mexico and many uh, other countries, especially in the southern part of the Americas, has definitely dealt with a lot of femicide and gender-based violence, especially with um, dangerous situations, unstable countries, and obviously many conservative and male like dominant patriarchal cultures <laughs> which is unfortunate it's 2021 yeah i mean i feel like we say that it's like 2021 or it's 2020 and like it's 2020 or 2021 but honestly it's really not like i i don't know i when i hear people say that oh it's 2020 like why are we even doing this like why is this even happening like i feel like when we say that it just shows how skewed our world view is true right like for us it doesn't seem like it seems impossible right oh like but at the same time i do recognize that saying that it's a sign of frustration right it's like years since women have been legally seen as equal by uh with men right and less for some other countries right but the violence and the culture still persists throughout this day and i think that feeling resonates with many other minorities whether it be based on gender sexuality race ethnicity religion and mm -hmm. Etc. Then again, we have to acknowledge that it does take time to change, especially if these beliefs are so embedded in their culture, right? Like here, this I'm sure has been going on for a very long time, and for this type of thinking to be embedded so much, then yeah. it definitely takes a lot more time to change, right? Especially like yes, if the government doesn't exactly do anything to change it then it's much harder or if the people in power don't recognize that this is an issue right because the government numbers are already reflecting that oh almost a thousand women were victims of femicide but yet they don't mm -hmm. do much about it that's the issue well like no one's like stepping up and trying to well they are trying to fix it however people in charge aren't exactly responding I think you can tell a lot about some uh, a country's culture and what they really think and the progress by the government's reaction, right? If mm -hmm. the government's reaction, this government's reaction to just a protest on women's right is basically just ignoring them. It's to yeah, send, and to police. send in police. I think that shows... Like, you th you'd think that, oh, maybe you know, the public opinion is more strong or something. But if the public opinion were really that strong, I don't think the government would have done that. Right? 
just like right. um, the BLM protests here in America in June and right now, right? The government's reaction definitely shows how ingrained some of our biases are. Right. Well, those are our three stories for the day, but before we leave you guys, we have our Sunday snippet into the past. Since our three stories were on the international side, we think we'd bring it back home with uh, this fact that in 1629, uh, on March 14th, on March 14th in 1629, a royal charter is granted to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which will eventually start the beginning of what we know today as America. Wow. A little history lesson for you guys. (laughs) Then again, that's all their Sunday snippets. Yes. Well, that is all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And have a good Sunday.